It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. In my TV work, I got to experience driving for Lyft and Uber. And it was really fun driving. It was like uh, one of those TV shows, like what's the taxi one, where you're on camera in the taxi and you answer questions or whatever. So people would get in the Uber or Lyft with me, and there were cameras just everywhere. And I'd disclose them. I'd read them the legal disclosure that they were agreeing to be on television. And I had nobody who objected, which was fascinating. But seeing the experience of what it's like to be a driver for Lyft and Uber and how much money you made or didn't make and where the uh, the various surge in payments as they needed drivers in different areas, it was all just kind of overwhelming. And I was fascinated how one trip wasn't really even worth me taking because I wasn't making enough money. And then another trip would pay off really well. And it... It's something that requires real focus on your part. If you're working for one of the driving apps, right now people not so much because people aren't riding in Ubers and Lyfts as much. But right now the food delivery apps are really big. And I saw a story by Kathy Kristoff in the Los Angeles Times that depending on where you're working in a gig job, the pay can be quite different from one app to another, like with the food delivery apps, you could find that one of them pays you more than double what another one does for doing food deliveries. And so these apps don't have enough workers. So the pay will end up for a while much higher with one versus another, but don't get stuck in your ways, your habits. So if you sign up with one, they're offering you really good money and then over time, maybe they become more stingy with what you're paying you. Paying you. That's why you keep monitoring what's going on with what others are paying. And when the coronavirus vaccine's out there enough and people are back in Ubers and Lyfts at more normal ridership, same thing with that. And I'll talk to drivers when I'm in an Uber or Lyft pre-coronavirus, which was all the time, and I ask them, how do you decide which one, if they'll have both stickers on their vehicle, which one they, why they chose to drive with that one at this time? And some of them have apps they use to figure out who's paying the most money at that time. And others just run their own data. Others look at what bloggers write about it. But there are apps that in major cities will let you know real time Who's paying the most? Like Gridwise, G-R-I-D-W-I-S-E, that's in different cities. And these apps generally use freemium business models where basic versions and information are available for free as a teaser to try to get you subscribing so that you get the really juicy data that will help you generate the most income. And so a lot of people have tried working for these apps and they say i'm just not earning enough it's really knowing the information of who's paying what and at what time that's the key 
to you generating income that makes it worth your while to work for these apps and make whatever side money you can. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Joel and Krista alternate. And Joel, what do you got? Clark, this one comes from Dan in Florida. He says, a young friend came to me with this problem. He came to town needing to find an inexpensive place to live in a short period of time. He found a house listed for rent on Craigslist, signed a lease, oh. and then sent $800, a small oh. security deposit. I'm hurting already. Yeah. I don't even know exactly where you're going with this, but I really am aching for this individual. Well, it's not good. He, um, he added to the lease that he could cancel if he didn't like the place because... He hadn't yet seen it. Oh. When the key did not arrive, he went and knocked on the door of the house, and the residents said they had recently purchased it and that others had been scammed this way uh, with pictures of their home. The payments were made via PayPal and Zelle. Is there anything he can do to get his money back? I am so sorry to tell you there's nothing your friend can do. This is a common scam, and what people do is they go on uh, any of the the real estate selling sites like Zillow or any of the others, and they see properties listed for sale. Then they go buy those properties and look for ones that are vacant. And if they are in fact vacant, they duplicate the pictures from Zillow or whatever other website. They put them up on Craigslist, and then they list the place for rent and they steal from as many people as they possibly can. I mean, I've had situations in my TV work where we've done stories about homes where the crooks had the locks changed, took down the for sale sign, put up their rent sign, and took money from people again and again. And then a real estate agent will show up to show the property, and there could be somebody living in it who thinks they legitimately rented that place, and you're not even eligible for normal eviction procedures. You're put right out. But the more common thing is where someone takes multiple deposits, maybe first month's rent from people, and you never have the place. And so Craigslist is a dangerous place to rent a property. You want to make sure that the individual you're renting from actually has proper ownership of it some sellers will be offended some landlords will be offended but it's proper for you to ask for proof that they own the property when you're renting an individual home or condo so that you don't get ripped off like this and renting one sight unseen is where you face your greatest danger i'm really sorry krista Hey, Clark, Bryant in South Carolina says, I'm being told I have to replace my flip-top cheapy phone with a new phone, like an Apple or Samsung, by the end of the month because my current phone will cease to function. Yeah. I don't have a smartphone, but it looks as if the world is forcing me this way. What is a good phone at a reasonable price? So the cheapest phones that people are switching to that they've been happy with are the Amazon, I'm sorry, the Samsung A-Series. The A11, uh, was A11 21, 51, 71, but the A11s are really, really inexpensive. In the event that you're being forced to change phones, this would be a time, though, for you to look 
at various cell phone plans and see what actually is the cheapest for you. And if you switch to a new company, they may give you a low-level, particularly Android phone that you can have right from them for no cost at all or maybe a token amount of like 19 or $29. Go to Clark.com and look at our cell phone plan guide and maybe you're being done a favor and that you'll end up with a much cheaper plan and a free or nearly free phone. Joel? Clark Carl in Connecticut says, I applied for a credit card at a membership club, a warehouse club. I unfroze my credit at the three major credit bureaus, but I was denied the card because my credit was frozen. It turns out they uh, check a different, much smaller credit bureau. I forgot that I froze my credit with this smaller bureau years ago, but I never guessed that anyone would check anything but the big three. Now I'm concerned. Should I be freezing my credit at all these other secondary credit bureaus? Uh, Only if you have no life. Because if you start looking at all the minor bureaus out there that have to comply with credit freeze, it'll drive you crazy. And this is something that you can eliminate let's say 98% of the problems you might face from identity theft with the big three credit bureaus. The last 2% is just one of those things in my mind where bad things happen to good people, that you can't deal with every possibility or eventuality in life, but doing credit freeze with Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian gets you almost all the way there. Krista? Hey, Clark. This is from Sarah in Georgia. I would like for you to share with all of us the difference between a home equity loan and a home equity line of credit. What are the biggest differences and the pros and cons of each? If I may throw in a variable, I have an existing home improvement loan with approximately $22,000 remaining at 9.99% APR. Would a would-be lender treat that loan differently if I wanted to pay off that loan with the loan? I was planning on sharing that information as I shop around. Well, uh, first, before I even answer your HELOC versus home equity uh, loan part of what you asked, I'll tell you that right now with very low interest rates, you may be able to take out that home improvement loan with a personal loan from somebody like SoFi or um, one of the peer-to-peer lenders, Prosper or Lending Club, where you go into a fixed rate if you got really solid credit where you can pay off that remaining balance replacing that loan at a rate that will more likely be in the fives to sixes. But the question about HELOCs or home equity loans, a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, is a floating rate loan. Most of them, the interest rate can change every 30 days based on a formula usually uh, loosely set to the prime rate and that rate's published every month. Or actually, you know the prime rate every day if you look online. And so the rate right now is very low on the home equity lines of credit and will remain low until interest rates that the Federal Reserve controls starts to rise, which could be another two years. A home equity loan is a fixed rate loan that is fixed typically for 5, 10, or 15 years. The best rates are on five-year home equity loans. If you think you can pay off this balance in a couple of years, 
then a home equity line of credit is the better choice. If you think it would take you longer, then a home equity loan is the good replacement. But only a five-year home equity loan would in any significant way reduce the interest rate that you're paying right now on that home improvement loan. Joel? Clark Asher in Oklahoma says, I'm looking to buy headphones for my family for Christmas, and I'm trying to decide whether I should buy the Samsung Buds Plus or the Apple AirPods. I've got the Buds Plus, and they're great. They work well with my Galaxy phone, but my dad has an iPhone, and I'm worried that they wouldn't work as well. So, Clark, which direction should I go in? The Samsungs will work just fine with the iPhone, but my kids are convinced that the AirPods are the best thing there's ever been, and if you have an iPhone, they would say emphatically it's the only thing you should buy for somebody who does have an iPhone. Scott is with us on the Clark Howard Show, and Scott, you're looking after someone who has an intellectual disability, and how may I be of service? Hi, Clark. Um, I'm calling about my brother-in-law, who is uh, special needs, and his mother and I were looking at setting up an uh, ABLE account for him. Um, And my question was, um, he's probably, once they can no longer care for him, he'll probably go to assisted living. And if we set up this ABLE account and fund it over time, is it all the money just going to go to the uh, assisted living facility and he's not really going to get to use it? Well, the money can only be used in an ABLE account, which is kind of like a cousin of a 529 college savings account. It's also a 529 type account known as a 529A or uh, A is for ABLE. And the money is for care for him it's any disability related expense so it's not for uh fun kind of stuff it's for his care at a later time in his life so the money that goes in you're allowed to put 15 grand a year in and it can grow tax-free through the years and be spent tax-free as long as it is for eligible expenses so the long-term care facility would be an example of that but there could be other things like um, between now and that point when he might need a long-term care facility he may need care with uh, daily activities or whatever it can be used for a non-family caregiver there are a number of things that can be used for the advantage of it is you're able to put money aside and not hurt his eligibility for government assistance. And that's where the $15,000 limit comes into play. Okay. I I was just concerned because I've seen a lot of elderly folks, you know, save over time, and then just it all ends up going to the nursing home at at the end. And I didn't want to have him in that situation. so. so, So in his case, the ABLE is designed specifically to to get money into an account for his care with, I guess in your case, you'd be overseeing the account? Uh, yes. You'd be the owner of the account for his benefit. And then over the years, is there's uh, medically necessary things that are needed for his care, you're able to pull from that and whatever it's earned goes to it without any tax being owed. So it doesn't have um, the freedom of having money set aside for him that can be used for any purpose, but it has the benefit of being tax-free and avoiding having 
any impact on government services that would be available. So I see the ABLE account as a very valuable thing for anyone with a disabled relative or child. And I wouldn't worry so much about the uh, assisted living facility or something like that getting at the money later on. That's not the intended purpose of the ABLE account. It's for all the things that could come up way before that might be necessary. One thing with 529 ABLE accounts, they vary a lot in the underlying costs, and you want to check the costs thoroughly. You want the cost structure to be less, in total, less than one-half of 1% per year for investment costs and administrative costs. I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. You know, over the decades, the nature of questions that come into our show has changed a lot in one area in particular. For the first half of my radio career, I never, ever, ever took a question even remotely related to investing. But over the decades, the way people invest has changed where people are responsible for doing their own stuff, having their own 401k, their own IRA, their own Roth. And so people are having to make decisions about stuff that maybe they didn't have a lot of exposure to a lot of information to help them make those decisions. But gradually, people learn more and more about it. And I saw an item on Bloomberg about how in 2020, people have been pulling money out of high-cost mutual funds in huge amounts. And the amount of money in these high-cost funds going down and down and down. At the same time, People are putting tons of dollars into what are known as ETFs, exchange-traded funds. And it's something that baffles some people, but the story is an ETF is a stock market sibling of a mutual fund. So there will be an ETF that can be virtually identical or identical to a mutual fund, but you buy and sell it kind of like a stock instead of a mutual fund at much, much lower ongoing cost. ETFs became really important when they became commission-free on so many uh, trading platforms for low-cost stockbrokers. And so if you do your stock trading through Schwab or Fidelity or a smaller brokerage, or through Vanguard, there are just thousands of these exchange-traded funds that you can buy just like you're buying a mutual fund, but at much lower cost. Today, though, there's still, according to Bloomberg, follow this number, $17 trillion plus dollars in mutual funds and only $5 trillion in their much lower cost exchange-traded fund siblings. So it's the kind of thing that goes uh, right onto the back of people's to-do lists. 
because it sounds like a lot of busy work. But over the years, you can make a huge difference in how much money you have in an investment account, retirement account, or whatever, if you pay close attention to the expenses. Uh, Fidelity, though, has a small number of funds that are under the category of Fidelity Zero Funds. You pay absolutely no commission to go into them, and you pay no ongoing management fees for being in the zero funds. So your money, every dollar of it, is working for you 100%, and you're not having money scraped away in costs. Now, I'll tell you where you should never, never, not ever invest your money. In any bank or insurance company investment arm, because they charge massive ongoing expenses and fees. And so you investing through an investment arm of a bank or an insurance company will end up with so much less money down the road than somebody investing through a low-cost company, like just naming the big three, Vanguard, Fidelity, or Schwab, that the difference in retirement is you could end up with a third less to 45% less money to live on down the road simply because you got sucked in to doing investing at some big bad bank or insurance company because their, their cost structures are completely different than you're going to have with the discounters. If you want just the simplest ways to invest your money, I have a very, very streamlined investment guide at Clark.com that's designed for you if all you want to know is what should I put my money in and not have to think about it, I have some very, very clear recommendations for you. It's time for your questions you posted for me at Clark.com slash ask. And I think it's Krista's turn. Sure. Jim in Connecticut is saying, as a daily listener, I've heard you mention the potential problems of using offers that promise interest, no interest for the first 12 months. We recently bought 19 windows with this offer. When I visit the lender's website to make a payment, it always shows payment due at $0, when in reality, our promotional balance is $24,387 with a 24.99% interest rate. Only when I click on make payment is the balance shown. My assumption is they won't list payment due until day 365 of the loan. Please warn your audience to pay their promotional balance well in advance of the one-year anniversary. So what I recommend, and I thank you so much for taking the time to share this, what I recommend is when you have a 12-month same as cash, that you pay it in full at the 11th month. So there's no issue that you have paid even one second late because the interest almost always at that 24.99% in your case is retroactive to day one. And I'm going to say something horrific. If you get to the 11th hour of a no-no-no plan and you don't have the money to pay it off in full, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, take out a cash advance on your credit card if you have to and pay it off because at least then you will have had the 11 months 
same as cash, no interest against that. But if you leave even one penny open under most of these offers, the 25% or 35% or whatever interest it is, is calculated all the way back to the day of the original purchase. No, no, no plans are dangerous unless you play it by your own rule book. And one thing you should do is put on your electronic calendar or your paper one what the end of your free period is. Because one of the sleazy tricks that happens in the industry is the retailer will list your payment date one year out as 72 hours, usually three days after the end of the 12th month, so that the interest is retroactive to day one when you think you paid it off in full on time. Joel? Clark Dale in Mississippi says, uh, should I be buying insurance policies on the water line that runs to my house and also for the gas line that runs to my house? I know that homeowners are responsible for any costs incurred should either of these two items need replacing or repairing. My house was built in 1958, so these lines are pretty old. This is a tough call because uh, you've been forever without any problem with your service lines to your house. And at some point, things deteriorate and they do break. But the math of these, um, these service policies is so unfavorable to you as a consumer that if you think about how much money you're paying month by month, year by year for these quote-unquote protection plans, you could over not that many years replace a water line or a gas line more than once for just what you paid in premiums. So this is one of those situations where if you signed up for one of these things and three months later your line broke and the policy paid off, you feel like, wow, this is so great that I had this. But they're all playing the mathematical odds and the house almost always wins. Not your house, their house that they're collecting that money from you for. That's like old Las Vegas expression. Krista? This is from Jacob in Virginia. My wife has the Fidelity credit card, and the money is going into a Roth IRA we started for her. How would you suggest we end up maxing this out since we get a little bit of money put in the account monthly, but it's not a consistent amount? So what I would recommend is every 90 days, you put in enough to bring you up to where you're putting what would keep you on track to a full annual contribution of $6,000. So you get through the third quarter of the year, odds are you're not going to have over-contributed. At the end of the year, the end of the fourth quarter, you can then true up to get you to the $6,000. And besides, if you do accidentally overfund your Roth IRA, it's not that hard to unwind, particularly if you're over by a very small amount. The brokerage houses and mutual fund companies like Fidelity are very used to helping people reverse when they've over-contributed. Joel? Clark, this one comes from John in Hawaii. He says, happy holidays to you and the whole Clark team. How do you say that state he's from? Hawaii. Hawaii. You say it very interestingly. I, I've never heard it pronounced the way you pronounce it, Clark. 
Hawaii. You'd have to be a Hawaiian. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> he says uh, there's a stock trading company that is giving two free stocks away with sign up. Is this legitimate? And is it even worth the free potential $5 stock that they might give me? The Better Business Bureau gives the company one out of five stars and an F rating. They want, want a photo of my driver's license and maybe more. I stopped there, though. What do you think? You did the right thing stopping there. You know, getting this is a gimmick of late giving you free shares of stock or a certain number of dollars of a stock for signing up with a brokerage. And a brokerage that has that kind of rating is one that you need to run away from. It's really hard for a stock brokerage to end up with that kind of rating with the Better Business Bureau. Sounds like you'd be getting nothing but trouble into your life. Wow. Krista? Daniel in Kansas says, I keep hearing that our savings will not be safe anymore, that somehow the government will be able to take it away from us. Is there any truth to this? We're not Argentina. This is not a realistic fear. We are in an era where, because of social media and all the platforms that we can visit that uh, pretend to be or appear to be news sites, that a lot of false speculation like this occurs do not worry at all we are not a country that ignores laws and your money will not be confiscated by the government so don't fret don't worry rest easy and be happy chris is with us on the clark howard show and chris you have a good problem to fix what's the scoop hey clark uh yeah We've been blessed this year, both being able to work, and I adjusted some of my uh, 401k within my um, current work to move from a traditional to a Roth. And then early in the year, we contribute to a, our Roth IRA um, after we do taxes normally. But with the downturn in the market during um, the coronavirus, um, I decided to contribute early um, $1,000 for both me and my wife's uh, account um, toward our 2020 uh, withholdings or our um, uh, contributions. We're to the point now where I'm probably going to be over my max um, income threshold here, and now I'm kind of stuck where I shouldn't be, you know, maybe just logistics. I know you talk a lot about the backdoor um, Roth opportunities, and maybe kind of sort out what is next with uh, in a my situation. So what happened is you just flat out have made too much money, and yeah, that's and a that's a good problem to have. You you made more money than you expected. It's made you income ineligible for doing a 2020 Roth, and the law accounts for that. So the law isn't designed to eat you up because you had the good fortune of making more money than you anticipated. The way it works is that before you file your 2020 return in 21, you're in a position to reverse your Roth contribution, and you have no penalty for having done that. So if you go ahead and file your 21 return, a 20 return in 21, and you haven't undone the Roth from 20, then you're hit with a tax penalty. But as long as you reverse it 
and the the mutual fund companies and brokerage houses are used to this happening to people and they have a procedure for helping reverse it as long as you do that you're a-okay do you know the opportunity that exists if you want to reverse it can you walk me through what that process is yeah so let's say you contact the brokerage is it a brokerage house or a mutual fund company you have your sorry mutual fund so you contact the mutual fund company you say hey it turned out i'm income ineligible for my roth for 2020 i need to reverse it and you do have an option instead of just having the money come back to you to do something known as a backdoor roth which is a non-deductible ira and i don't know if you ever heard of that rare odd animal which is the third kind of ira is that something you've ever heard me talk about i've heard you talk about but i've not been through it personally so a non-deductible ira requires you to jump through some hoops but if you have no traditional ira money sitting right now do you or don't you i do not if you have no traditional ira money that's good you can put money into a non-deductible ira in a year that you're income ineligible for a roth once it's in there you're allowed to convert that almost immediately into roth money even though directly into a roth you are income ineligible it is one of the weirdest things in the tax code and you just got to do it exactly right. Do you normally use an accountant to do your taxes, or do you do your own with software? Um, accountant. So your accountant should advise you on the proper procedure for uh, taking this Roth money, uh, reversing it, putting it in a non-deductible IRA, then you convert it into a Roth, and with one extra step, you've made the same thing happen to your benefit but without having to worry about violating the income limits and generating a tax penalty for yourself. I know that's a lot, but promise it can work. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review us wherever you're listening. For more money-saving info, go to clark.com. And for bargains, ClarkDeals.com.